Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another week of wild, messy, infinite love. This is episode number 35, and I am so very pleased to bring this to you. Um, this was an episode that I recorded a few weeks back um, and ended up I wanted to release it a few weeks back, but then um, everything with the protest happened. Um, I'm actually recording this introduction before leaving for vacation. So it's currently June 11th when I'm recording this introduction for this podcast. Um, so by the time this comes out, there could be a whole slew of new information. There could be a whole new slew of stuff going on with quarantine, with the protests, with um, this seeking justice for um, George Floyd, for defunding the police force, all this kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff could be miles and miles ahead, um, totally different landscape than it is when I'm recording this. So I just want to be upfront about that um, in case there is some sort of silence from me um, on the part of current events happening. But with that being said, this is a conversation that I recorded a few weeks back with a good friend of mine um, and actually a colleague, a peer, um, a fellow classmate from my days at Messiah College. His name is Josh Patterson. Uh, we had an absolutely riveting conversation about theology, about what the church is, um, Josh has always been someone that I've enjoyed talking to. Josh has always been someone who I've found to be really thoughtful, really profound. Um, and to have the opportunity to bring him onto the podcast was absolutely wonderful. Um, he is a co-founder of the podcast titled Rethinking Faith. Um, so if you enjoy this conversation, if you enjoy what we talk about, I encourage you to go and check out his podcast. You can um, find it anywhere that podcasts are um, produce anywhere that podcasts can be listened to. Um, he drops a line at the end of the episode, but I just wanted to put that out at the beginning of this episode as well. Um, but with that being said, this is episode number 34. Whew, that is insane. Episode number 34, Josh Patterson on theology, on Christianity, on the Bible. Josh Patterson, let's talk about it. Hey, how's it going? How's <laughs> <What's> it going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Um, hanging out. Right on, right on. So um, I'm talking to Josh Patterson right now, who is a youth and young adult pastor at Seneca, Seneca Creek Community Church. Um, I'm super excited to have him on because he has his very own podcast called Rethinking Faith. So why don't you... Why don't we just start off with you talking a little bit about what your podcast is all about? Sure. How how uh, how much information do you want? Because I do you want to hear? Because it's kind of changed and morphed. Um, let's start with the beginning. All the right, beginning so is a good place to start, right? The beginning is a good place to start. Yeah. So the the podcast was formerly known as Theology Doesn't Suck, um, which is a is kind of a much you know funner name than Rethinking Faith, but <laughs> but but. Uh, we moved away from that for various reasons, but anyway, the, the podcast originally started, uh, because 
I have a buddy and him and I noticed like, whoa, everything is super polarized, right? Which is not, I don't think that's controversial to say. Um, (laughs) Everything is crazy polarized, including uh, Christianity, including the body of Christ, to use super churchy language. Um, And we realized like my, my buddy and I both had very different theological perspectives and upbringings and backgrounds. And so he was, or is rather, super confessionally reformed, like works at a PCA church, a Westminster confessioner die kind of guy, like <laughs> John Calvin is his best friend. Um, right. <laughs> and then think of the opposite of that, and that's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we wanted to, to create a podcast where we could bring together two very different voices to try to demonstrate helpful, meaningful conversation. Um, within the realm of Christianity. And that worked for a little bit. And it just kind of got to the point where uh, my co-host wasn't comfortable with the kind of conversations we were having. Um, and so he, uh, just to stay true to himself, peaced out, which is, you know, kudos to him for sticking to his guns. Uh, mm-hmm. brought, on, brought on my buddy, Marty, uh, who's the current co-host. And um, I guess some people would, would label us a, a progressive Christian podcast um, or a reconstruction podcast is something people have said, but mm-hmm. really we're trying to, our, here's, here's our whole thing. We think this guy, Jesus is pretty cool and we want to encourage people to stick with him. And outside of that, it's like all cards are on the table. We want right. to talk with anybody and everybody, any perspective, any background, as long as Jesus is the center of what we're doing, we're down with it. So that's kind of where it is now. Right, right, right. So what I what I'm picking up is that you're you're really trying to engage in theological discourse it in as many levels as you possibly can. So it's not it's not necessarily just about, well, this is Jesus and the gospel, and this is the only thing that we're going to talk about, but we're also going to be talking about what's the problem of evil? What is going on with this whole theology of hell? What is going on with all this other kind of stuff that oftentimes tends to get buried beneath layers and layers of dogmatism and, um, you know, religious affiliation and all this other kind of stuff? To me, it very much feels like you're trying to open up that box, so to speak. Yeah, most definitely. Absolutely. And I think it kind of comes, I mean, almost it comes, I mean, very much so it comes from like a a pastoral concern, I guess, um, where I've been hurt by the church in various theologies before. And so as my co-host, Marty, and we want to show people that the, the little box that you've probably been given called Christianity probably is a lot bigger than you've right. been led to believe. <laughs> and so we're we're down to chat with anybody. I mean, you mentioned hell as an example. We um, have talked with people who proponents of eternal conscious torment. We've had on universalists. We've had on annihilationists, everybody and in, 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 in between. So that's awesome. That's really cool. So um, you mentioned that this is some of this is coming from a place that you've you've experienced the hurt or the pain that theology bad theology and incomplete theology can oftentimes render upon someone so i guess this is a twofold question um what are the things that you are seeing that are often 
causing pain in other people, not necessarily from your own experience, but as someone who works with youth and young adults, as someone who's worked in and around the church, as someone who's sort of been um, schooled in the more academic side of theology, um, what what do you view as sort of the the mainstays of this is this is what has hurt me by being a member of the church? Sure. Yeah, that's, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. So I'll address kind of what I see um, amongst us students first, and I think it it actually goes out from there. I think a lot of people can relate with it. So if you're not in high school, don't tune out. Um, <laughs> three three big things that constantly come up um, are one the way the church treats people of various uh, sexualities or gender identities. Um, that's been a huge one. Um, two, the uh, basically the way that the church has kind of um, aligned itself, or parts of the church has aligned itself specifically with the Republican Party in politics. Um, that's uh, been a big, dicey, tricky one for people. And then the third one often tends to be, and this might be unique to my context. Um, but also I think perhaps not, what do I do with all my friends who aren't Christians? I go to, you know, so the church I'm at in Gaithersburg, super diverse. The area we live in is super diverse. So my students have access and are in relationship with Muslims and Jews and atheists and Hindus and Buddhists. And they're like, what gives? So th- those three things are, are, are big, big ones. Right, right. Um and i guess i guess the f- another question that i have in relation to that is i know for me i started experiencing some of those questions and some of those i guess doubts or some of those misgivings of hey this this tradition that i'm a part of isn't sort of meeting these these questions that i'm asking of what what do i do with um gender identity and sexual identity what do i do with the fact that i don't agree with the republican party what do i do with the fact that i have an atheist friend who is just as loving and caring as anyone else that i've ever met when i know for me i started experiencing that in college mm-hmm. um when i started um, having professors who were digging deeper into theology, who were starting to open up those questions for me, I guess for you, when, when did those questions start really, really taking seed within you? And, you know, how, how did that go about coming to the point where you wanted to start a podcast? Yeah. So the, the first red flag that popped up for me, um, was, when I, uh, I'm so bad at math. Thank God I don't have a degree in math. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how old I would have been. When my brother was in seventh grade, which I believe puts me in 10th grade, um, <clears throat> he came out to my family as gay. And <clears throat> I remember, excuse me. <clears throat> it's all good. It's all good. I remember uh, my family like sitting me down and being like, hey, we have some news. Uh, your brother's gay. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> They're like, what? He told you already? And I was like, no, I just, he's my brother. I grew up with him. I know these things. So, um, and my family was awesome. I don't have the the kind of stories that so many people have where family ostracized somebody or something like that. Um, it was actually the church that treated us poorly. As soon as the church that we were attending found out about this, 
Uh, we were asked immediately by the head pastor to leave the church. We were literally told you are no longer welcome here. Jeez. Oh, and then um, parents started calling my parents like, you're awful parents. You need to tell him the truth, like kick him out of your house or you're not loving him. All this kind of stuff. Students, other you know, students were texting him, telling me you're going to hell. And these were all the people, like I grew up in a, in a youth group at this church that was formative for me. Uh, the youth pastor is still a very good friend of mine today, but it, what, how they were treating my brother and my family did not line up with this Jesus that they seemed to be teaching about. So that kind of was a red flag for me. And I kind of buried that. Um, and as I got into college, um, college really, I guess, kind of did a number on me. Uh, that's where I started being introduced to um, theology for the first time. I was one of these uh, stupid people um, who <laughs> had this had this idea that I don't need theology because I have Jesus. Right, um, and I people say that all the time. And if you're currently so like, hey, I was in that boat. I was yeah, in that boat. Right on. So. <laughs> College kind of broke me in that regard. Um, started opening me up to these these kind of conversations. Had some really good professors. Um, it's where I started taking something like nonviolence very seriously, and that sounds kind of like not the biggest of issues, but that one really kind of like cracked me open big time. And then I read "Surprised by Hope" by N.T. Wright, and mm -hmm. was like, "Whoa." The whole point of this bit isn't just for my soul to go live in like the clouds someday, and it wrecked me. <laughs> right, <laughs> and that that is that is where it started. And so I started um, on this journey of reading and studying and and talking with different friends or whatever. Um, but then where it really came to fruition, if like the the tipping point, so to speak, that absolutely just wrecked me, uh, was my first experience working in a church. Uh, my wife and I were living in Maryland. That's where we're from. Uh, I got offered a position in South Florida at a church. Mm -hmm. We moved there and that was the worst nine months of my life easily. <sighs> uh, I won't go into great detail. Um, but I don't throw these words around lightly, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, all a huge part of my experience there. And it, Really, I was like, well, God, I thought you brought me here, and now I have to deal with these uh, buttheads, and <laughs> I, I was censoring myself. <laughs> don't, and, <laughs> don't, feel free to unleash whatever you would have. This podcast right. is not <laughs> <laughs> So working with these guys, and uh, I felt kind of cheated. Like, God, did I do something wrong? Did I, not, did I not understand you? Like, did you put me through this for a reason? Like... All of these crazy things started going through my mind, and that kind of just that, that was it for me, and that kind of opened up my journey for sure right right I think that's i I think for me it's it's not an exact like for like type of experience, but it's it's a similar enough experience where I graduated college and I had this idea that I need to go into youth ministry. I need to work at a church because that was the only thing that I knew. Um, and I ended up working at a church and it was like, everything came crashing down. And I was like, Oh crap, this is not, 
what I'm supposed to be doing. Obviously, it's a much different experience than being in a place that's abusive, um, which of course is terrible. And I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and I'm also very glad to hear that you're somewhere that is much more healthy for you, much more healthy for your wife, much more healthy for the congregation and the community that you're working with. But I think I think a lot of at least college students who graduate from college share that similar kind of frustration or that same realization of they get out of college and they think this is what I'm supposed to be doing and they get into it and they realize, Oh man, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. I have no idea where I'm supposed to go or what direction I'm supposed to be headed in. Yeah, dude, most definitely. I I kind of always joke with my wife. Um, but I also mean it at the same time. Uh, I always tell her like, yeah, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> you know? I don't think you ever do, man. I don't think you ever do. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so interesting. And like, I'm I'm super grateful uh, for where I'm at now, for sure. Because after so after I left the first church, um, I quit, you know, and uh, regardless of of what they told people, because they lied to them, of course, I quit. Mm. I resigned. Um, and. I took a job at a different church that I would not have normally taken if I was sane. Uh, but I was in <laughs> such a space of desperation that I took a you job at this church. Absolutely. And that that church had its benefits. There was a lot of really good things that came out of that, some really good relationships. And same with the first church. There was a lot of good there, um, especially in relationships. It's probably the best thing. But in the second church a whole new level of like batshit crazy, like <laughs> soap opera is the best word I have to describe it. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the, All the, the tales from that place. Yeah. It was insane to the point where like, I mean, I only left there almost a year ago and like the head pastor has since been removed. Um, like, <laughs> the worship pastor that was there is gone. The children's pastor is gone. The, the oh, secretary, boy. like everybody <laughs> pieced out. It is crazy. And so where I'm at now has been very healing. Um, but there's also still like a part of me that uh, has like this, this guilt um, or maybe the shame of like, I'm in a really great and healthy church now. And I'm still like, what the hell is church? <laughs> <laughs> So like I'm trying to figure that out. That's my current struggle. Right. And that's I mean you're not the only one who's in that struggle either. Um I know I've been wrestling with that that understanding or that terminology for a while now where you know I've been working in churches, I've been in and around the spiritual community. Um but one of the things that's really profoundly hit me is it's it's actually an idea that I learned from Richard Rohr. I can't remember which book it is. I want to say I want to say it's in the Universal Christ, his most recent book that he talks about this. But he talks about this feeling of you get to a point where you are you are so absorbed in contemplation, you you see beyond the curtains, so to speak. So you start peeling back the layers of those theological questions that have been buried for so long. You start peeling back the layers and you start to feel exponential growth, both within yourself, within your loved ones and all that kind of stuff. And it's almost like having to pull yourself back into some 
antiquated version of yourself to be able to go back and sit in a church service because all of a sudden you've grown beyond sort of these structures that have been have been put in place and you're like these structures don't matter this you're missing the point and it's really hard to go back into that space but at the same time i mean obviously this is a paradox that we live in but like we're also supposed to be in community with other people we're supposed to be in relationship with other people we're supposed to be you know entering into that communality with others and church is a really great way in which people are able to do that so i mean like it's a two-sided coin it's really difficult um but that's definitely something that's been tough for me is you know i've i've i feel like i've grown and now going back into that sort of structure it feels like i'm having to revert to a former self yeah i i'm in I can relate to that so much. And I, I love Richard Rohr, by the way. Actually, currently I'm reading uh, Eager to Love, which is his book on uh, Francis of Assisi. I, I saw the quote on Facebook. I loved it. Yes. <laughs> so I've, that's been super helpful, um, actually, recently. That and then uh, these two other texts um, that I'm reading, books. Text sounds so weird to say. <laughs> Who says that, right? These two scholarly. other books. <laughs> sounds scholarly. <laughs> these, these two other books I'm reading. Uh, one of them is Brene Brown, and then one of them is by Jeff and Sid Hosklaw. Um, they're kind of all working together, like, symbiotically right now and uh, helping me a lot in some personal stuff that I'm going through. Uh, but Roar uh, talks about this idea of, like, within this uh, Eager to Love book, where he's talking about, like, the community is important, right? Like, Church as a community of people is important. And, and one thing that Francis of Assisi or St. Francis seemed to understand was that um, his relationship with God or his, uh, you know, seeing whatever language you want to use um, could be contained in the church, but it also transcended it at the same time. Right. So he could be comfortable in the church when he had to be, but then he also at the same time was like, yeah, but God is so much bigger than all of this. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's so yeah. difficult to get into that sort of headspace where you're able to say yes. And yeah, because the, it's, it's such, it's such natural tendency, at least for me, it's such a natural tendency to revert into. Yeah. But all of this stuff is the most important. So I'm going to end up being here and not here. I I like to, sorry, I like to partition stuff off. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, I mean, it's so true. Uh, one thing recently that's been helpful is um, I've been a part of this thing called Jesus Collective, which is super cool. Uh, I'm going to plug them, Google that uh, Jesus Collective, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're super dope. And, and the one guy that's a part of Jesus Collective, his name's John. And uh, I was on a Zoom call similar to this with him recently and kind of working through some things with him. Um, and he was like, let me, let me see if this makes sense to you, okay? And he drew a Venn diagram, two circles overlapping, and he wrote Josh on the one side, church in the other, and then like colored in the middle bit. And he was like, does this make sense to you? Like there's, there's a part of you that when it overlaps with church, it makes sense. And it works, but also the church has all this other stuff that doesn't quite work for you. And then also you're so much more than this relationship you have with the church. And that right. like pff, mind blown kind of moment, right. super helpful. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, and 
I don't know. Thinking, thinking about it in that way, you know, how many talking about the church and like leadership and people who are working for churches, how many pastors burn out and how many of them are locked in that like central zone of this is my identity. I'm the pastor of this church. Everything about my life is focused around this central community, which yes, it's great to devote yourself to a community, but it can also be damaging as well. Oh yeah. Most, most definitely, especially if it goes unchecked. Um, which is how narcissism or, or narcissistic personality disorder kind of, um, unfortunately, it's kind of bred in the church. Uh, I just read a book about this and, and interviewed the author, Chuck DeGroat. Um, his book's called When Narcissism Comes to Church. But basically, pastors are like far more likely to be narcissists than like any other profession. Right. And it's because these these exactly what you're talking about, these tendencies that uh, we would see as narcissistic or problematic are bred and 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 celebrated as leadership ability, le- leadership potential, and then throw in like the consumeristic idea of what church is today plus capitalism, and you have these pastors that just it's sad, really, you know. Right. So one, a couple experiences that I had of that growing up, I I went to a small conservative Mennonite church. But even at a young age, I had congregation members coming up to me and saying, you would make a good pastor. I think you're a really good speaker. Of course, that like stroked some primordial ego within me where I was like, oh yeah, that felt really good to hear that. And like, even in, even in high school, having uh, my youth director pull me aside one one evening and saying, hey, I see leadership potential in you, or I see leadership abilities in you, there was definitely an aspect of, oh, yeah, that's stroking my ego right about now. It felt <laughs> yeah. good. It felt really good. It yeah, felt, ab- It feels good to be needed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's that's something that I think all of us can relate to. I mean, the need to be needed is is huge, right? I like to tell my students that we are created by relationship for relationship. So that's like an inherent need. And when mm-hmm. that need is taken and then, um, and not always in a way that's intentional, but when that, I, that need is taken and then manipulated, it can be super dangerous. Um, we kind of have to, you know, really work, work hard to keep that in check. And I mean, part of the first church I worked at, um, I didn't know it at the time until I read this book, but like narcissism is exactly what I was dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. And like things like gaslighting, which I didn't know what that was until recently. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say this. Uh, I had no idea. And like the whole time, my wife was like, "Josh, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad." And I was like, "No, this is just what church is like, you know." And now she's like, "You're a dumbass." I'm like, mm, "Yeah, <laughs> that's fair." <laughs> so. so- so especially with your interest in figuring out what church is and how you, I guess, define that, how does, at least for you, how does broadening the theological discussion begin to help form sort of that definition or what church is? Yeah, that's hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I think, huh. Can I can I share two things that I think yep. kind of help set the foundation that are, sure. that I think are super helpful? So the the first thing um, that I think when it comes to this kind of question or this kind of topic that is insanely helpful is um, basically the framework you do you do quote theology in. 
Um, some people take what's called a bounded set, and some people do what's called a centered set. And so a bounded set approach is what I grew up with. It's uh, probably the most common. Uh, most people can probably relate. And that's when people say, Here, here's the walls, here's the box. This is what it means to be a Christian. Everything has to fit in there. And anything outside of that is dangerous and scary. Stay away. Right. So you have that approach. And then there's the centered set, which places something at the center, at the core. Um, and that's the non-negotiable thing. That's what unites people. That's what unifies people. And then everything kind of goes out from that. And the further, you know, if you can picture in the head, in your head, the further it goes away from that center, the less and less important it becomes. Okay. And so I take that second approach that was earth shattering for me. And the, the important aspect of that though, is what is the core and the core for me is the person Jesus, Mm -hmm. not not the theological construct that we call Christ. I think that's right. important. It's very important. <laughs> and I, I wholly affirm the Christ and the, I, the universal Christ, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus, the person at the center, the Jesus we find in the, in the Gospels, that dude at the center, that um, changes everything, for starters. Because then, once you realize that Jesus at the, is at the center of, of what Save for you and I, for example, what we're doing, we can disagree on an issue, and that's fine. We can have humility in that and disagree because we know our core and our center is the same. Right. And it, we're not going to lose sleep over that. So that was hugely helpful. Yeah. And then the, the second thing, which takes that idea and then kind of adds a little bit more structure for, for people who like structure and order. Um, I use a, and I stole this hardcore from, uh, I believe Greg Boyd was the first person I heard talk about this. Um, but he does, does the same centered set approach, Jesus at the center. And that's non-negotiable. We can't ditch Jesus. So when I make, when I draw this for my students, I put a red circle around Jesus as in like red, don't go there. And then the next circle out. So I'm making a concentric circle that might be helpful Mm -hmm. to state, um, the target logo. So then the next circle out is dogma which I also put a red circle around. We can't really mess with that. And, but dogma is a far more limited category than most people seem to, to think. Um, I would say dogma is anything that the universal church, the big C church, can affirm. That means Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, you know, everybody. Based- so things like, things like the Trinity, um, things like uh life death resurrection of jesus things you know things that pretty much any any christian church that you'll go to will have some sort of verbiage about this sort of stuff yeah exactly exactly and a really helpful way that like a quick hand for it is the apostles creed if -hmm. it's in the apostles creed probably it's not a good idea to mess with it and then the next circle out is doctrine which is yellow which means caution be careful but we're allowed to disagree here. And so doctrinal issues are important. I mean, people have debates over these. These should be informed by uh, scripture, experience, reason, you know, all the good things. Um, We should pray about it, all this stuff. But Mm -hmm. we can disagree, and we can't kick each other out of faith for it. Right. So a doctrinal issue would be something like women in ministry. 
I am what's called egalitarian, so I affirm women's ability to be pastors. Right. My boss is a female pastor, and she kicks ass. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, all the way. But there are churches who very much disagree with that. I grew up in one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a doctrinal issue, though, right? We're not going to kick those. I mean, some people would like to kick us out of faith for it, but you, you can't in actually do that. Like, right. we can disagree. Um, and even something like uh, doctrine of hell, atonement theories, uh, like LGBTQ stuff, which also that might even go into the next further out category, which is called opinion, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> green circle, go for it. Uh, should we Free have chair, chairs or pews? Who cares? Um, <laughs> but basically having those two tools and then being able to say, okay, let me think about this. Does the Apostles' Creed or, you know, dogma affirm or deny this specific position? Yes or no? Nope. Okay, great. We can disagree. That has been so freeing because Mm -hmm. that means our orthodoxy is so much bigger than we've been led to believe. Right. And so that is where my hope in the church is because the... Man, and it's even weird because, like, I would say that's where my hope in the in the the kingdom of God is, or the the body of Christ, maybe. Um, which I think, and this is controversial, so sorry, but I think the church doesn't always exemplify the kingdom of God. The insti- oh, for sure, it doesn't. The, <laughs> the institution known as the church, um, it doesn't exemplify the 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 kingdom of God, but I think the kingdom of God is working just fine. It's the church that's you know jacked up. So, um, yeah, that that's where my hope is 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 really in this this larger image, the kingdom, centered on the person of Jesus, and that's where the hope is. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, like if you were to ask me, and this sounds so stupid and childish and silly. Uh, but at the end of the day, the thing that I remind myself of is Jesus loves me. This I know. And depending on who I'm talked to, I'll throw in the, you know, for the Bible tells me so bit, it just depends on how people feel about the Bible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. Um, I think that's, I think that's really profound. Um, and especially, I, I think it's also really important to know who you're talking to as well, uh, because you might be talking to someone who's been hurt by Jesus language or mm-hmm. been hurt by biblical passages being used against them or to abuse them or to manipulate them. And as soon as you utter something like that, it automatically engages their fight or flight and it automatically like disengages any sort of fruitful conversation that you can have with someone so like actually being aware of what it is you're saying and how you're going about saying it is really important but then also how you participate in it because i think you you mentioned the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven um i think one of the most i think one of the most important realizations that i had 
through college and after college was that the kingdom of heaven is not something that we're sitting around with our thumbs up our asses waiting for it to just pop up. It's something that we participate in. It's something that we create here and now with the, with the actions that we're doing, with the way that we're loving other people, with the way that we're talking with other people, you know, the the way in which Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about it as like a seed in the ground or yeast and dough, and all of those are participatory actions. You have to plant the seed. You have to mix the yeast in with the dough. You can't just throw a seed on the ground and expect it to grow. You can't just throw yeast on top of dough and expect the dough to rise. You actually have to participate in mixing it in and actually working with it. Yeah, most definitely, dude. That that for sure for me was one of the big like once that piece kind of clicked into place for me it kind of made room and allowed for so much more um and so i think you're i mean you're absolutely right and i think too if i can say another controversial thing i think there's people that are working for the kingdom of god that don't know it <laughs> oh for sure i think there for are people, sure there are people, i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah there are people working and and building and participating in the kingdom of God who don't use the language that, you know, these old educated white guys said that they have to. Um, And they're very much participating in something. And I I would call it the kingdom of God. Um, But I think what you're saying about knowing who you're speaking to is really, really, really important. Um, And what I like about the two like the two models that I kind of talked about is that it affords you space to recognize who you're talking to and then have a conversation accordingly. So for example, one of my students recently before this whole COVID-19 thing came to me bawling. And I was like, dude, it's like nine o'clock on Sunday morning. What can you be so upset about? And um, basically she explained to me uh, that a very good family friend of, of, of hers was a firefighter and he died in a fire rescuing somebody else's child. However, this person was Jewish. She was like, does that mean my friend is in hell? And she said that, that the previous youth pastor, the, the person that, that came before I did, um, basically said yes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and, and that um, the kind of interim person uh, who was, you know, filling in until they found a spot, um, didn't say yes or no. They were just kind of like, I don't know, kind of thing. And what this allowed, what this model allowed me to do is in that moment, recognize who I was talking to and be able to speak to them in such a way that they could meet and connect with God in a way that was real and true. So I, I basically professed ultimate reconciliation, universal salvation, whatever you want to call, call it. I gave that to that student. And in that moment, that is what she needed to stay in connection with God, which is far mm-hmm. more important to me than affirming some you know, statement of belief that my, my church has or something like that. Right. That had to happen for her relationship with God to continue to exist. And it made all the difference in the world all the difference in the world. It's so much more beautiful than I have this box and it's the right box. So middle finger to you if you disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think the other, I think the other thing that this sort of model opens up 
at least for me, is it opens up the possibility to expand vocabulary. It opens up the possibility to actually engage with, okay, so, you know, say the person of Jesus is the center of your theological framework, the center of your community, whatever, what have you. It expands it expands your ability to actually explore, okay, but what what does the person of Jesus actually mean? And start to see how that connects with other people. Because you might be talking with someone who doesn't who doesn't practice in the Christian faith, but their core belief or their core value is that of love and connection with others. If you're if you're able to expand your vocabulary surrounding Jesus to beyond just well the person of Jesus um, and be able to see how that connects with well Jesus is also about love and connection you're able to find a central a central common ground with this person as well and you're able to enter into not even conversations to try to win them over to your way of thinking or to win them over to theology, but just to have a real authentic, vulnerable conversation with someone that you have a true connection with. And that, that in and of itself can be so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's super, that's really good. And that's, that's super important. I was having a, a, a conversation, um, the other day with a, a gentleman uh, named Brad Jersak. And Brad was telling me that he has uh, this Muslim friend who every day reads the Sermon on the Mount and prays the Beatitudes. This guy is a Muslim. And he said, Brad, I don't understand why so many of your Christians don't follow Jesus. So there, <laughs> do, do you hear this? This, this Muslim man follows Jesus better than most Christians. Yeah. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is so true. It's, it's, ah, it drives me crazy. It's, I mean, was, wasn't it Gandhi who said, I love Jesus, but I can't stand Christians. That's a paraphrase, but obvious. Like he said, Along those lines that he really respected the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but the community that's since been built up around that is the thing that causes a lot of people to fall away. Yeah, most definitely. That's exactly what he said. He said, um, I love your Christ, but bummer, dude, your Christians don't look like your Christ. <laughs> and this like, is this ah. is uh, this is obviously all all tongue in cheek in some sense, because there are good aspects of the Christian community. There are really healthy, positive churches out there that are making real strides towards difference in their communities. Um, there, there are people who go to church who are actively participating in the kingdom. There are people who are loving others, you know, like all this kind of stuff. It's it's not just like a blanket statement of, oh, because we're saying this, all churches just (laughs) kind of throw people into the gutter. But like, it's, it's very much, it's very much a complex tapestry yeah it's yeah absolutely i think i mean there's so many churches that are doing great and beautiful and true things i mean i i genuinely believe that i would not be working in a church right now serving in a church right now if it wasn't the church that i currently work at like that place is beautiful i've i've never seen anything 
like it before. I've never been a part of anything like it before. It is so diverse. We have, on any given Sunday, about 60 different nationalities represented in our congregation. Wow. We sing in different languages. Um, It's crazy. Uh, People express themselves in different ways. And so there's no one right way to do things at Seneca Creek because Mm -hmm. there's so much cultural diversity and that's the kingdom of God. I think that's beautiful. And -hmm. there's other places like that. And I'm now I'm like, Oh, good job, Josh. You work at Seneca Creek. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. And there's so many churches that are doing, just like you said, doing good and true and beautiful things. Um, so yeah, that I don't want to write them off completely. Right, 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 right. Um, another question I have for you, sort of backtracking a little bit and talking about um, how you sort of came to this point. This might be a bit of a pointed question, but would you take any of it back? Ah, uh, man, I I think about that question every day, um, because the truth is. It was, there was a time in my life when being a Christian was easier. Um, and I, I, I know that might sound blunt or like dismissive, but I, I, I don't know no, how I, else to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, one, of the, one of the things that I talk about with um, churches that I'm frustrated with is there are a lot of churches out there that tend to just give people the easy answers and say, here's a checklist as long as you check everything off this list, you're good to go. And you don't have to think about anything else. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's a life insurance policy. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And so that, when I think back to that, that was nice, man. That was easy. It was peaceful. I slept better at night. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the problem is you can't, at least in my experience, for me, I can't unsee the things that I've seen. I can't unknow the things that I know. I can't undo the experiences I've had with God. And so it, it, to use biblical language um, for people who might be more accustomed to that, like, I don't want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it might have been safer there. They fed us, and we had shelter, and it was great. But also, like, I can't go back there. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what it would look like to go back there. But the the problem is, is that leaves you open and vulnerable. And I would call myself a spiritual orphan. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, our Jesus followers is maybe a way I would like to say it better. Um, but I mean, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus follower. So I fully am there. But like, for for my more conservative friends, I'm too progressive. For my more progressive friends, I'm too conservative. Like, there's no, it, like, I have a hard time participating in black and white, right mm-hmm. and wrong, this or that. Some things are very much like that. For example, racism. No pun intended, black and white. But, like, it, that's a, no. Racism, awful. Period. Bad. Wrong. Right. Um, but there's so much in the Christian faith, in life experience, in what it means to be human, that is gray, that I can't not, you know, I've already seen that. Like, 
I, I don't have good language for it. God, I've, you, I've you been awakened to that, whatever. You can't unsee what you've already seen. You can't untaste what you've already tasted. It's the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. You've left the village. You've gone through the trials and temptations. You've walked through the forest and you've come back and realized, oh man, this place is too small and this <laughs> container doesn't hold me anymore. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really good. What is that? Joseph Campbell? What? What's the... The hero's journey. It's like right a, on. it's an archetype of what it means to experience human growth. He also talks about it as the mono myth. Nice. Um, but yeah, I that uh, that's another thing that has resonated deeply with my soul is that idea of I've left the village and now I've come back and this container can't hold me anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I need to I need to figure out how to construct a new container basically until I eventually grow beyond that and it's just it's just this continual growth and re 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 returning to the journey of leaving the village and coming back and it's it's this constant it's this constant cycle that we're always going to be a part of because mm. I, I guarantee you 10 years from now both of us are going to look back at where we were now here in 2020 and be like man how did we ever live like that <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, we'll listen to this podcast. Our, our, you know, children or friends or somebody will stumble upon it and be like, "Y'all were tripping." <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what's going on with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like one one thing that um, has been helpful to me is um, uh, Brian McLaren um, has said that basically, anytime we put God in a box. Sure, we might be able to find God there, but God also transcends that box. So, God did you is, ever? Did you ever take theology one with Sharon? I did not. I have so, not, unfortunately. No. So, for those of you listening, Sharon Putt is a theology professor at Messiah College, um, and she was actually on Josh's podcast. So, you should go check that out because they talk about the doctrine of hell. Um, but in like our very first class, she had each and every one of us um, call out names that we had for God. So like people were mm -hmm. throwing up Jesus, love, King, Christ, you know, like all these traditional terms that we have for God. And then she had someone go up to her chalkboard and draw like a fuzzy line around the whole thing. And she said, OK, this is your box for God, but God exists outside of this box infinitely that's so good yeah i loved <laughs> it yeah i'm super bummed that i never got to take classes with her she was so so fun to talk to and like yeah she she was awesome uh, it, that makes me think of though like um oh goodness i might have lost my train of thought way to go josh chalk sorry i i interrupted you so it's my fault no you're no you're good it was it was based off your um the 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 drawing thing you did which was so good but yeah i don't know i blew it so listeners like <laughs> write me off josh sucks <laughs> but no nah, it's I, all I, good it's all good i love that that it's so true though man and like i can't not once you see that though you can't not see it but right. i think that also breeds humility like right. i know i know it's not a humble thing to say like oh i'm a humble person but once you realize that like life is more about becoming than arriving uh or or perhaps maybe 
life is more about finding and asking the right questions than getting to the answers all the time. Once you do that, it it allows you to let go of that part of yourself that always has to be right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not perfect at that. Like, dude, right. th- put something up on Facebook and I'll get super pissed and I have to be right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and, and, or like, for example, the other day, my uh, buddy Brandon is living with us temporarily and he was uh, on uh, Overwatch playing video games with this dude from who went to Moody Bible, which is like super conservative school. Yeah. And he was saying all this nice stuff about me like, oh, Josh is nice. He likes to listen to other people's perspectives and have a good conversation. And the guy uh, asked me what I thought about um, John Piper. And uh, I had a few beers at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not say nice things about John Piper. I'm assuming you Piper. had a few choice words as well. <laughs> I did. I had a, a very few choice words. And so it's not something that's perfect. But this path of becoming and, and the fact that recognizing like, wow, you were a douchebag right there. Like that is not helpful to anybody. Um, the, the, I think I, mean, I can't stress enough intellectual humility. Like Mm -hmm. I I always tell my students, I'm much more interested in teaching you how to think than what to think. Right. There are some things that I have to say like, hey, Jesus is pretty cool because I'm a Christian, right? But outside of that, like you guys have to think about this for yourself. Mm -hmm. If, if if, If you don't own your own faith, if you haven't asked the questions for yourself, then your faith is so easily destroyed. And I hate to see that happen to people. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Like, I hate to see my high school seniors go to college, take one biology class, and then poof, Jesus is out the door. Mm-hmm. That's not necessary. But we set up people for that failure over and over and over again. And like, that's why I'm so passionate about what mm-hmm. I do, because it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I think in you saying that, one of the things that came to mind for me, speaking on humility, one of the things that I talk about is we as humans live in this paradox of being uniquely and divinely special, but also not very special at all. So like we all have these wonderful gifts and talents within us and we all have work to do in this world. We all have things that we specialize in. So for instance, I specialize in talking about spirituality. I specialize in talking about theology because that's what I've devoted my study to over the past like 10 years of my life but i'm also who cares you know like i'm also just part of this whole sea of humanity and we're all just energy and relationship we're all just a mixture of electrons and protons and neutrons all dancing around with each other so like yeah there's a bit of me that's yes i am eric i am special i am important but then there's also the aspect of me that says yeah but everyone else is also the same as me yeah yeah that's that's so good man i think that's that's one thing that um i've kind of learned and and clung to from Richard Rohr talks about those kind of things. And, um, I mean, this idea of like, I mean, you said it so beautifully, like I'm so, I'm so special and unique and blah, blah, blah. But also at the same time, I I can suck a whole lot. Um, and all people have that, that propensity, right? Like, uh, this guy here, get his name, right. Um, Francis, uh, Spufford, 
perhaps, is a British writer. And basically in his book, he redefines sin because sin is like a, it's been used to abuse people. It's also very loosey goosey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it kind of, um, I think his definition kind of goes better with the, the people will recognize it, right? He says that sin is the human propensity to fuck things up. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he, I think he's so right. Like we all have the inherent propensity and ability to do good and beautiful things, but we also all have the inherent ability to screw things up and, and ruin everything at the same time. Right. And, and recognizing that is so important. Um, and recognizing the common humanity within one another and, uh, all of that is just so, so key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. That's what I thought of when, <laughs> when no, he... I, I, no, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I, I certainly fuck things up quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even, even in the midst of that, even as we walk between this paradox or the, this, this or that sort of paradigm, all of it is to use, to use more traditional Christian language, all of it is infused with grace. So it's a, it's a grace that we're able to do such wonderful things. It's a grace that when we do do terrible things, we're able to realize that and grow and become something different. It's a grace when people have their boxes deconstructed and they rest in that deconstruction only to reconstruct something more expansive or something new. That's all like, it's all infused with grace. Oh, most, yeah, most definitely. And I think too, like an important thing I would point out as well is like, I'm not a huge fan and I don't think anybody should be a huge fan of shame. Like I think shame and guilt are different, right? Right. And a lot of times in Christianity, like I knew I was grow up, you know, grew up being taught this, that like, Josh, you're a piece of crap, you're evil, you're wicked, you're vile, nothing good inside you exists. That is shame. That is saying that you inherently are these bad things. Right. Where guilt is you have done bad things, but that's not the core of who you are. I want right. to make that distinction and say, right. no, people were created to be very good in the image of God. And we've distorted that. We can we've broken that, but being a piece of shit is not who we are. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that we're we're more than that. And so I I, I want to push that away, first off. But also too, something that I've kind of been toying with and um has really helped me a lot in uh my understanding of the kind of language that you're using is this idea of Christian uh panentheism that God so pantheism is that everything is God. That's not what I'm saying. Panentheism is everything exists within God. So God is the universe plus something else, right? And -hmm. Paul uses this language. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And recognizing that, that all of us, regardless of if we were born in the United States or in Afghanistan or in Sri Lanka or wherever, are included in that. There's a common unity. Uh, everything exists within that. That is beautiful, and God is so much bigger than the little God I was given growing up. So, 
I don't know right. if that's helpful, but I thought about that too. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds really similar to the way I the way I talk about it is, you know, we all have this shared spirit of love, which is both deeply inside of us, but also something that we have to participate in. It's something that's sort of outside of us as well as well. So it rests at our it rests at our deepest core, but then at the same time, it's rooted in something much deeper. Um, whether you want to use the term of God or whether you want to use the term of cosmos or, you know, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use, there's something, there's something within us that connects each and every one of us, but also connects us into this deeper sense of what it really means to be our truest selves, to be in community, to be in communion with nature and the world and the cosmos and to be participating in this sort of rhythm. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And I mean, that that just makes me think of how, like, Richard Rohr talks about how, like, creation is basically the first Bible. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then, the first and then, incarnation. Yeah, incarnation, man. Like, the more I study about incarnation, the more beautiful things are. Like, we so often miss the importance and the beauty of the incarnation so much. Like... God freaking became a finite creature and being. And in doing so, uh, like, united himself or uh, related to, what's the word? Identified, that's what I was looking for. Fully identified with human creation, like, with people, fully. And, like, Jesus in, like, good Christian Orthodox theology they would say Jesus still exists bodily today. So like our bodies matter. Creation matters. Yeah. Like this world we inhabit together matters. It's not going anywhere. The so, term the term Christian literally means little Christ. Yeah. I mean like we are the body of Christ. <laughs> right. And I think that means something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not just some cute Hallmark card thing that, you know, pastors say on Sunday. Like it means something. Right, exactly. I'm right like, there with you. Uh, it's like there's there's this basically so the way that Genesis is written, the creation narrative is is written in such a way as it it describes the same way that like pagans would talk about building a temple. I mean almost verbatim, super crazy. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that creation is God's temple, God's dwelling place, God's home. This is where God lives. And then God created, so when you have a temple, you always put an idol, a statue, whatever, of the God that you're worshiping in that temple, and that manifests the presence of that God. The way that Genesis describes the creation of people literally mirrors the way that a pagan priest would create an idol. Like the way that God, it says God makes people out of dirt, a pagan a uh, priest would mold an idol out of clay. And then it says God breathed his breath into the dirt and it became alive. The pagan priest would blow on the, the idol, the statue that he made, to animate the God. And then the pagan priest would place it into his temple. And then God did the same thing. He placed his human creation into his temple. All of creation. People are little idols of God. That's what it means to be made in God's image. That is beautiful. That mm-hmm. is why all human life is sacred. Yeah. That is why 
man, like so much. That's crazy. <laughs> and that's, that's why, so I, I just wrote a big thesis paper for my master's program on creation care and eco-theology and looking at how eschatology and eco-theology form, form a lens through which we can view creation care, especially in light of climate change. But wow. um, particularly with eco-theology, it brings into it brings into the conversation that all people and all non-human creation as well is of sacred worth and infinite value. Because Mm -hmm. like you were saying, the whole thing's a temple and it's a temple is not something that you desecrate. A temple is not something that you use. It's something that you hold as sacred. It's something that you find life in. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that you are in a symbiotic relationship with in a way. I mean, like how many people are in in some sort of symbiotic relationship with their church building? Um, (laughs) Not saying that that's necessarily the correct way of going about viewing church, but like, that's how we view temples. It's like, we are in community. It's part of our community. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. So like, it's all, it's all important. It's all sacred. It's all infinite value. Yeah. That, that's so good, man. I think The language that's been so helpful to me around that idea is that we we have we don't have sacred and profane, we have sacred and desecrated, and things that are desecrated are only desecrated because we humans declare them to be (laughs) right. (laughs) Like we're we're the ones messing it up here, (laughs) right? (laughs) But but everything, man, and, and that's and once once you have eyes to see that, like your world grows and yeah. expands and, and becomes more beautiful. And, and the God that we worship is so much bigger and more beautiful and more encompassing and more loving. It's just, it's great. And I, I think, <laughs> I think that's at least that's where I find at least some sort of hope, at least in our present situation in the COVID-19 pandemic is I think this is eye opening for a lot of people. I know it was it was eye opening for me, even though like I wrote this big creation care paper, it was eye opening for me to see those charts of like how much pollution has dropped off since mm-hmm. people have entered into quarantine. And like that eye opening realization of, oh, we don't have to live this way mm-hmm. in order to survive. Um, I think there are a lot of people realizing that the way that we're organizing our economic system is failing them in some way, shape, or form, and their eyes are opening to that. And once your eyes are open to something like that, you can't unsee it. So my hope is in the fact that people are opening their eyes, and if you can't go back to it, you have to create something new. You have to find another another framework. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's very true, and also I hope that that's very true. I hope... Um, cause I mean, in, in, at least in my, the way that I understand things, God is not the, the source or cause of COVID-19. God does oh, not, yeah. does not create and do bad things, but I believe that God is always loving and always working to bring the greatest good out of even the worst situation. And so I think God can take something as bad as COVID-19 and squeeze as much good about good out of it as possible. And my hope is that people can do the same freaking thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like like we can realize exactly like you pointed out that all the the blind spots 
and failures, I mean, specifically, I mean, our context is America, I guess, but the all the blind spots and failures here in this country um, mm-hmm. that have been just magnified and, and blown up real big for everyone to see during this time. My hope is in people that they kind of get their shit together. <laughs> but, right. you know, I can only pray, I guess. <laughs> right, right. But I, yeah, I I would agree with that. I think I think there is a lot of power and meaning in suffering. And that's not to say that there's there's a purpose for your suffering. That's not to say that suffering comes from some causation or anything like that. You know, sometimes shit just happens and it's tough. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's empathy mixed in with that, you know, work through the grieving process, work through the emotions that come with that. You know, if you're angry right now at the president, if you're angry right now at the way our health system is organized, if you're angry at your employer because they have put you and your family at risk, if you're, you know, like if you're angry at all this stuff, it's okay to be angry, but work through the process. Don't get stuck in one particular mode because when you work through the entire process, you actually come out on the other side of the tunnel Mm. more expansive than ever. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, man. That that's super good and that's I mean, that's something that I personally right now need to hear like just for myself in my own personal life. Like I'm currently wrestling with this idea of shame. Like uh this isn't a therapy session, so I'll be brief. But basically like <laughs> basically there are there are profound ways that shame has and continues to play a role in my life that I'd never realized before. And I'm currently actively working to identify what those things are and try to help rewrite that script. And that is, it has been insanely painful. Like I, I, I developed um, depression, like, man, whenever I worked at that first church, (laughs) um, (laughs) Three years ago, uh, three and a half years ago is when it started, and um, things have been pretty good recently. The past six months been great, but then um, through this thing called Jesus Collective, I know I keep coming back to that, but like I encountered Jesus in a way there that I never have in my life before, or the the cosmic Christ, the the universal Christ, whatever language you want to or you're comfortable with. I encountered love there in a way that I never have before. And it's uh, breaking me open to things that I didn't realize and recognize. And there's a profound sense of suffering that is going on currently. And I don't believe that is from God at all. Um, But I also know that working through it um, is going to bring me out in a better way than before I ever recognized these things. So I fully like... You preached the sermon to me in those last <laughs> five minutes. That's that's the idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad I could be of help. I hope this is helpful for listeners as well. But I mean, like, and I think it's and I know I know I talk about this a lot in my podcast. So for those of you listening, I apologize if I'm beating a dead horse. But <laughs> the the ways in which this is realized in people's lives is infinite in infinite different ways. So it can look 
like what you explained as working through that interior suffering doing doing the interior work to rewrite that script sometimes that suffering comes through communal pain so maybe it's a relationship that's broken down that's causing you harm maybe it's a broken system in your church. Maybe it's a broken political system that you're confronting. Maybe that suffering is even broader than that, and it has to do with um, with your with your community, not your community, your communion with nature. So, for instance, like the systematic um, exploitation of the natural resources and that kind of stuff. There's suffering within that, and we need to work whichever level it is it's on we need to work through that because that's that's where the growth happens that's where the juice often is yeah yeah so yeah that's that's really good that's really good and and what i think is helpful to to try to focus on is this idea of joy um because joy isn't like Joy is not an emotion, right? Like joy is a, a way of life, a state of being that is unshakable even in like the shittiest of times, right? So like our emotions are like a roller coaster, happy, sad, whatever. So if we had joy running parallel with our emotions, joy can remain constant and consistent even as our emotions, you know, go up and down. And so trying to find that state of joy and grounding ourselves there. And then allowing these kind of experiences to happen as you're, you're um, describing, that's kind of been, that's been super helpful for me. That's right. kind of been what I've been learning. Right. Having some sort of rootedness in something, whether that's, um, whether it's that, that central, that central theological framework, whether it's a community that you're part of, a tradition that has been helpful for you, finding some sort of rootedness. Um, maybe it's a, a relationship, maybe it's your spouse. Um <laughs> You know, like having that sense of rootedness is really important when working through it, because otherwise it really can feel like you're drifting away into all of this pain and anguish. Yeah, most definitely. It's it's really it's really hard to feel like you're just drifting listlessly through the sea without any sort of anchor point. Yeah, big time that 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 part sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> and Very that's, much so. that's what I'm trying to find an anchor for. Uh, but also too, like recently, um, and again, forgive me for voicing this because I realize this is not a, a therapy platform, uh, but it, I'm a verbal processor. So having conversations like this are so helpful to me. And then my hope is that it, it helps, you know, whoever right. listens as well. But currently, dude, I've been like wrestling with this idea of like, um, basically, I've served in a church since I've gotten out of college out of a sense of obligation, like I have to do this thing. And it's been painful, man. Like it's been tiring. Um, Like I have a lot of really negative stuff to say (laughs) about my experience. Um, And through this, this recent encounter that I've had with Jesus or with ultimate truth, ultimate being, whatever. Um, like basically I have this sense, God is, is telling me like, bro, you don't have to do this any longer. Like there's no obligation here. You can do something else. That's fine, but it's your choice. Right. And like being willing, and I don't know what the hell to do with that, dude. Like, holy crap. (laughs) Um, it's freeing in a lot of sense, but also it's very scary. 
But like that wouldn't have come if community around me and conversations with other people and friends and, and close people that I trust, if they weren't willing to engage and wrestle and take interest in me as a person, um, those kind of things would have never come to light. And I need those things, right? It's very helpful. And so I think it just, I don't know, it gets back to the idea that we're talking about the importance of community earlier. Even mm-hmm. if that community doesn't look like a church, you know, maybe that community looks like you and your buddies going to the local brewery once a week. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if that's what you guys do, please invite me because that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. But like, it, it's so important. So, yeah. Yeah, no, two two things on that. Um how which which order do I want to talk about them in? Um I guess the first one would be for anyone listening who's unsure of sort of what your call is or if you're feeling like oh, I'm just doing this because I have to. I'm right there with you. I'm working as an admissions counselor but i mean like come on do i want to be an admissions counselor for the rest of my life absolutely not i'm doing it because i have to pay bills i'm doing it because i have to support i help support me and my wife you know like all this all these duties and obligations that i have um in terms of following spirit in terms of pursuing what it is that we're supposed to be doing, whatever that might be or however that might look. Um, I lean on something that Rob Bell said. Rob Bell is my jam. Um, He referenced the Hebrew prophets, I believe it's Isaiah, where he talks about this one obscure Bible verse where Isaiah essentially says, yeah, God, I'll be your prophet because the words that you're giving me are like fire in my bones and I cannot let them stay there anymore because it will devour me. So like whatever the fire is in your bones, where if you don't do it, a part of you will die. That's a good first place to start exploring. Um, and then just speaking out of my own experience, I know for me, I'm doing this podcasting thing, you know, like I'm working on a book, all this cool kind of stuff, but like, this has taken a lot of me just throwing stuff up against the wall. You know, like I just graduated with a master's in theological studies, but I started that thinking, okay, I'm going to get an MDiv. I'm going to be ordained in the United Methodist church. I'm going to become a hospital chaplain, you know, like, but through that process of throwing that up against the wall, it didn't stick. It didn't feel like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just had to keep throwing stuff up against the wall until finally I was like, okay, let's try a podcast. That's been something that's been around for a little bit. Maybe that's what I should be doing. So I threw that up and it's seemed to have stuck for the time being, but I mean, even then your, your calling changes. Um, so I I don't know how long I'll be doing this podcast. I don't know if I'll finish my book. You know, like I don't know any of this kind of stuff. All I know is that this is where my passion is. That's where the fire is. So I'm just going to follow it where it leads. And if it eventuates in something cool, if it doesn't, at least I tried. And there's always tomorrow for me to try throwing something else up there. Hmm. Yeah, that's, man, that's so helpful. <laughs> 
<laughs> and again, man, like, why you gotta, you know, come on here and start <laughs> preaching sermons to me, dude? That's messed up. It's disrespectful. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, no, also, it's so good, so also, helpful. Also involved with that is thinking through. I am who I am today because of my experiences. So even though yeah. I'm not working in a church, I am who I am today because I went through that biblical and religious studies major at. Uh, Messiah College. I am who I am today because I undertook the master's level program. You know, like I am who I am today because I have worked in churches and realized, oh, this isn't this isn't the thing for me. Um, you know, all all this stuff that I've experienced, all this stuff I've gone through. Some might say, you know, oh, well, you wasted your time at college by pursuing a degree that you don't have a job in. And I mean, like. Sure, I might not be working in a church, but that doesn't mean that degree is any less a part of me and is any less shaping of who I am and where I'm headed. So, I mean, like, the, that, that's part of where that question of would you take any of it back was coming out of as well, is you are who you are today because of your experiences, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. And I don't, personally, I don't think it's a good thing to change that. Yeah. I think that's so important and, and, and so helpful and so good and so true. And it's, it's funny. Cause like I have the opposite experience of you. Like I don't have a degree in <laughs> biblical studies. <laughs> uh, you have a minor I, though. I do. I do have a minor, but I have uh, my, my degrees in graphic design, which like I don't do that. <laughs> I'm not an artistic person. Like I did that because I told, essentially I told God that he was wrong. Like I'm not going to do these things. Um, and now here I am working in a church. Um, but at the same time I'm struggling. Like that's something that I've thrown up at, you know, against the wall three times now. And it's kind of sticking right now, but at also, I don't know. And like, it's scary. It's not easy. Uh, but also like Rob Bell, I, I also like Rob Bell. I don't know if you can see, but like, here is Rob Bell on my shelf. Oh um, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but he talks about this idea of like, not viewing our failures as just failure, but as a learning experience. So don't, mm -hmm. don't talk about something as like, oh, I failed. Great. I wasted my time. It's like, no. You failed, but you learned something from it. So it wasn't a waste of your time. Right. Or like you, you, you have this education or you have this experience. Don't look at it as a negative. I mean, there are some, th I'm not trying to write off people's negative experiences. So right. don't hear that. But like, what can we learn um, from where we've been and how can we, uh, oh goodness, what's the word? It starts with R. Oh man. Redeem How can it. we, yeah, uh, redeem. There we go. It's a, it was a, it was a churchy word. How can we redeem <laughs> our past experiences and our struggles and all that kind of stuff uh, to bring about something good and beautiful and true? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. It's really <laughs> good stuff. Uh, oh, well, Josh, are there any other things regarding theology regarding the church that you want to talk about um not really man this has been super i've enjoyed this a lot this yeah. conversation has been good and um i would love to have many 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 more like it um any <laughs> anytime this uh, is the stuff that i live for <laughs> yeah this this seriously man like this this has been timely i um 
So you, you're probably learning this about me. I have a tendency to get too personal really fast. Um, I'm super relational. And so it's just a part of me. I kind of just, Hey, here's Josh. Um, but like the, the Jesus collective thing that I had been a part of was this six week online learning cohort. And I finally found a place there where I could fully be myself and belong theologically everything I could belong mm-hmm. there. And like, that's gone now. And so I've been grieving that, um, that ended three days ago. And so I've been grieving that. And this space, this conversation that we've been having has been like, a, has been the same basically. And so thank you for that. Um, thank you for, for creating a space where yourself and listeners and whoever, you know, comes on and can talk about these things can fully be themselves, um, and find a place of belonging. I think that's super cool. And it's it's really important. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for coming on and being you for <laughs> the listeners of this podcast. I really enjoyed this. Obviously, if you ever want to have another conversation again, or you want to come back onto the podcast, you're always welcome. Sweet. Um, real quick, because I do want to allow you the opportunity to share what it is that you're doing with other people. How can people? be in touch with you how can people be following your podcast you know the work that you're doing all that kind of stuff sure yeah so um as far as the podcast goes uh we're called again rethinking faith um re is in parentheses uh but if you just type in don't bother searching with parentheses if you just type (laughs) rethinking faith it'll come up uh and that's pretty much everywhere wherever you like to listen to podcasts um we're there so you can find us and, you know, go through the archive. Maybe there will be something that, that helps you. Um, also we have an Instagram feed. So rethink, if you search rethinking faith on Instagram will come up. Um, as far as me personally, I'm also on Instagram, Josh Patterson or J Patty 94, Josh Patterson, get it. J Patty. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was given that nickname in like sixth grade. So J Patty 94, uh, and also you can find me on Facebook. And if you're friends with Eric, um, I'm friends with Eric as well. So we'll come up as mutual friends. Josh Patterson, have a picture with me and my wife. So yeah, that's, that's where people can find us. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Josh. This was wonderful. Uh, we normally end by saying peace and love. So would you be willing to take us out? Absolutely. Peace and love, guys. <laughs>